subject, but first of all, I got an email this week from someone who asked me why I didn't tell true stories anymore about people in the class. And I really don't have a, 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 an answer for that other than uh, I thought that perhaps some people were getting a little bit embarrassed by the stories that I told. Anyway, I decided I would tell one story this week. It'll be a, I'm going to try and make it a short story, but it happens to be about two of my favorite people in the Sunday school classes. You know, favorite people are kind of like your children. There's some of them you like better than the others. Uh, love them all, but some more than others. These two people were, uh, this was at the beginning of the shutdown, and they were, they'd already gotten a little bit uh, tired of being shut up at home, so they decided to take them a ride. Now, they knew that they were not supposed to go far uh, and certainly don't cross the state line because they were going to have people checking. But anyway, they got started, and this was on a Saturday, and they decided they would listen to the sermon on the radio, I mean on the, uh, on the telephone, and uh, so they headed out. Well, the day went on, and they must have ridden around for four, I mean, close to four hours, and they found themselves over in, south, in west central Louisiana in a little town that has a, a real... I guess you would call it a French uh, tradition there. Uh, but it has one of those names that's difficult to pronounce. And so Nancy, as she comes into town, Les says, how do, you, how do you say the name of this town? And Nancy says, well, I, I don't know. I think it's Indian. She says, I think it's Natty Chosis or something like that. And Les says, no, that's not even close to right. And he says, it's, it's, it's more like uh, Natty Gosis. And she said, no, Les, that's not right either. And she said, I'm hungry. Let's get something to eat. So they pulled into this, this place, and they found already had the sign up that says, you know, drive around, it's just take out only. And so they got in line, and she, they kept arguing about how you pronounce the name of the town. They got around, they gave their order, got up to the window, and the lady leans out and she, she starts to, to hand them their stuff. And, and Les, who's driving, uh, yeah, Nancy doesn't let him drive that often. And, and often so, but anyway, in this case, Les was driving and he reached out to, to take the bag from the lady and he asked her, he says, ma'am, he says, we're, we're not from around here and, and how do you pronounce this place that we're at? Of course, he meant the city. The lady looked at him and she says, um, Burger King. And Les says, get out of here, Les. Let's go. Anyway, that was the true story. Well, it's almost true. Maybe, maybe I did make up a little bit of it, but it's mostly true. Uh, let's open with prayer before we get into the lesson. Father, we, we know that you are a God of compassion and that to, even in the midst of tragic events such as this current situation that we have. We, we know that you can weave wonderful stories of faith and love and sacrifice. And in those stories, Father, you reveal to us the faces and the lives of those who desire to be lights in a dark world. And we thank you for them, Father, and we glorify your Son, whose example is our goal. Father, we just uh, ask that you would strengthen those who have so suffered loss during this period of time. We ask that you would give them faith and strength of resolve and, 
and purpose that cannot be shaken by the circumstances of life. And all these things, Father, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Today we're going to continue to talk about the, the subject, it, it, the broader subject, of course, is discernment, and this more specific subject is going to be a continuation of, of a review of John MacArthur's book, which is the Gospel According to Jesus. The, the, he takes on in his book a, this, this idea of lordship and non-lordship. Uh, he wrote of this, he, as a matter of fact, the, the original edition of this book was written back in 1988, and he received a lot of heat from it because he was suggesting in his book that there was more to the Christian life than just saying the sinner's prayer and going on with life. Uh, and he received a lot of criticism for that. And so he's written here many years later another uh, edition of the book where he tries to lay out a more concise or a more complete argument for what he was talking about. For us, evangelism, uh, it, we've all experienced to some degree uh, or, or other as we try to live our lives. Most of the time, those people who, who do it quite a bit will, will confess that evangelism is a strange thing. Sometimes you will meet people who are, who are as, as hard, if you will, as the top of the desk. Uh, and it seems impossible to get through to them about the story of Christ and what He did. Last week we talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, 18, where the Apostle Paul is laying out the, the, the truth of the Gospel. And those truths, if, you are, are, if you're starting in verse 3, Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, which Christ died for our sins, we're sinners, according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, He gave His life, He offered up His life, as a propitiation of our sins, he was a, it was a life. It was an offering of atonement for our sins against God. And that was the only way that we could be reconciled to Holy God is that there be a perfect sacrifice. He then rose again. He was he was crucified. He was buried, and he rose again from the day according to the scriptures. Those are the the four truths of the gospel, which everybody must subscribe to if they're going to be considered to have true faith. Now, there are other things, too, that must be done, according to John MacArthur, and, and certainly many others. And so we want to talk about those today. But as we, as we try to evangelize people, we'll find out that we have got to, at this point in time, in the, in the evolution, if you will, of evangelism in the church, is that more people subscribe to just the four truths than they do to the broader picture of what it means to live a Christian life and what's necessary in order to be considered to have true faith, if you will. Again, John MacArthur ta talks about a, a time that he was riding, he was on a plane, and a guy, he, he was early on in his ministry, and he sat down to a guy, uh, next to a guy on the plane, and, he's, and the guy asked him, he says, would, would you have any idea about how one becomes a Christian? John MacArthur was taken aback by that. Nobody had ever asked him that question. And so he delighted in the opportunity as a young minister to begin to talk about what it means to become a Christian. As, it, as, as the story unfolded in his book, John says that, uh, that the guy said, well, that's what I want to do. And so he led him in, in a prayer. And then later on he said they got together and that he baptized him and so forth. And then shortly thereafter, the guy sort of dropped off the map and he didn't see anymore. 
I don't think that's an uncommon experience with people who try to do evangelism on a consistent basis. You will come across people who, who are ready to become Christians, if you will, or to, to join the church, and we might say afterwards, wow, that was easy. I, I didn't expect it to be so easy. I thought there would be more resistance and so forth. And then later on, they might find out that this easy person, just like the guy that John MacArthur was talking about on the plane, uh, was not really eager. He was, he, he was eager to become a Christian or to be identified as a Christian, but was not so eager to adopt the lifestyle of a Christian. This guy, John, John uh, regrettably said, dropped out of his life and showed no more interest after that. After he was baptized, he showed no more interest in be, being a Christian. He wanted to be identified as a Christian, didn't want to be a Christian. If you have your Bibles, I want to read the, uh, to you this morning out of Matthew 19. Very, a very interesting book, if you will, in, in uh, uh, the New Testament. For those of you who are familiar with chapter 19 out of Matthew, you'll find out that, that Paul here, as, as along with Jesus, not Paul, but Jesus is recounting all of the sins, and, and he actually was preaching about these sins, um, to, of course, the people who were around him as well as the Pharisees. Chapter 19 is 30 verses long. He talks about just about every sin we can possibly imagine. He talks about divorce. He talks about gender identity. He talks about adultery. He talks about celibacy. He talks about children and their faith. He talks about eternal life. He talks about the rejection of the gospel. He talks about money. He talks about regeneration. He talks about sacrifice for the gospel and the reward for sacrificing. He also talks about lying, cheating, and stealing. Just to wrap it all up. But today I'm going to talk about the what is starting in verse 16. As he's been preaching and he has been teaching and he, is, he has crowds that are following him around. If you look at uh, chapter 19, verse 16, and I'll read down to uh, oh, several verses. Now behold, one came and said to him, that behold, one came to him. This is someone who was following him around and who had uh, been hearing his sermons. And this person walks up to him and he says, Good teacher! What good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, i.e. eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall... Love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things, I, I've done that. I've, I've kept them from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and then come and follow me. But when the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And the, then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we'll stop there as, as far as the scripture is concerned. Now, I want to talk about understanding the cost of possession. There, there's not a person that is in this that's listening. There's not a person that's in our Sunday school class, and I doubt there's anybody in our church, or perhaps even the body of Christ, if you will, 
that has not had a similar kind of an experience as a part of their Christian walk? Or is it part of their personal experience? Uh, we have all wanted things. We've all been customers, if you will, uh, who have been seeking something in our lives. It might have been a for, for men, it might have been that sports car or that fishing boat or, or something else, a material possession or, or might even have been that wife. But it was something that we really desired and we wanted to have it and we sought out to obtain it. Here Jesus has met a young man, Matthew 19, a young man who comes out of the crowd and of course when Jesus meets the young man he knows everything there is to know about that young man. He knows all of his circumstances. He knows about his education. He knows about his personality. He knows about his wealth. And all of these things are already in Christ's mind as he begins to talk. But from an outsider's point of view, this person would have been the perfect buyer. Now, most of us, when we go to buy something, uh, even though we might try to educate ourselves on, on what it is that we're going to buy, uh, we usually are going more, more from a, an aesthetic perspective than the real cost of that possession. It's, it looks good, I want it. And so we set out to obtain it. This young man met all the requirements for being a perfect buyer, whether he was buying a sports car or buying a, uh, something else. He was ready to close. He knew what he wanted. And in his case, he had everything you could possibly imagine. A very wealthy young man. And so, he, 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 one thing he knew that he lacked. And that was that sense of, of completeness in his life. He had all the material things. He perhaps even had a beautiful wife. Maybe he had lovely children. But yet, uh, he might have had the fastest camel in town. Anything could have been possible for him in terms of material possessions because he was, as Scripture tells us, a very wealthy young man. So, but, but yet, at the same time, we, we, can, we can get the inference here is that he was, in fact, an unhappy wealthy young man because he knew that he lacked that sense of security about an eternal life. And so, as he listens to Jesus, he begins to understand that I'm missing something. And that's what I'm missing. I'm missing the security of knowing that I have life after this life, eternal life. So he comes to Jesus and he calls him good teacher, uh, and he's ready to close. What, can I, what good can I do? And he wants Jesus to tell him, well, do this or do that. And he thought, perhaps, there wasn't anything that Jesus could mention that he wasn't going to be able to do since he was wealthy and, wealthy and smart, etc., etc. And of course, he didn't understand, nor did he concern himself with, what the final cost was going to be. And so when the final cost is told him, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me, his response was, was an almost, although it wasn't a verbal uh, uh, response, it was kind of like, oh, I really wasn't expecting that. And, and I can imagine that, that you and I have had similar experiences in our life uh, where there are things that we wanted, we desired, we lusted after perhaps, and we, but when we, and we thought that we could, we, we could obtain them without consequence. But then when we do obtain them, we find out that there is a higher cost for possession than we anticipated. And so we are left, just as this young man was left, despondent and discouraged and somewhat disappointed. 
John MacArthur uses Matthew 19 as an illustration of an unscrupulous sale tactic. If, if we go by, and he's talking about uh, uh, the no lordship perspective of salvation, which means if you, if you accept the four truths of the gospel, that's all that you have to accept. All the rest of it, is the, as the Louisianans would say, is a little lanyard. It's all extra. It's all part of theology. And that's not a requirement for salvation. And what John is, is trying to, John MacArthur is trying to say in his book is that, no, you know, if, if we lead people to believe in our evangelistic efforts, that that's all you have to do, then we are somewhat of an unscrupulous sell, uh, using an unscrupulous sell practice because we don't reveal the total cost at the time of purchase. There, there are many, um, whether it's Pew or, or some of the other um, surveys, uh, you can find out why, and we, we did this several quarters ago, about why people leave the church. And of course, one of the principal reasons that people, people leave the church is because they think that, uh, you know, the expectations of being a Christian are, are too high for, uh, for, for a person to achieve, and so they get discouraged and they leave. But again, getting back to the young man, if you looked at him and assessed him as a customer, and all people who sell stuff do assess the customer, we can see that he, of course, his motivation was right. He had, he had a good motivation. He was motivated to acquire something he did not have. Something that was going to provide him that which he did not possess, i.e. security and a feeling of completeness in his life. And that was he wanted to possess security around eternal life. So his ambition, his, his, his motivation was, was good, he had everything but that. He wanted to get that because he felt like that was going, was going to be the only thing that would bring him comfort. Of course, he had the right attitude. Uh, he, he certainly was eager. He came out of the crowd. He, he Obviously, a young man who had quite a bit of stature within the community. and so, But he was yet unashamed to come out of the crowd, approach Jesus, and ask him that. Sort of bared it all for the crowd to hear. I'm sure many people around him were, were interested in what he had to say and the questions that he was asking. But he was very eager, he was unashamed, he was humble, and he was also convinced that Jesus was the person who was going to be able to tell him that. Now there's no, no, no indication within the, the gospel message itself, within scripture here, about how if he knew who Jesus was. Uh, whether he recognized him as being the Messiah, or did he recognize him as just being a prophet, uh, the scripture doesn't tell us that. But he, he knew by virtue of having, having listened to him, is that you know, he had knowledge that most of the other, uh, certainly the Pharisees did not have, and so he felt like that Jesus was the person who was going to be able to provide him with that comfort. First John 5, 11, if you want to jump over there real quick. First John 5, 11 says that... Uh, And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Which, clearly, in 1 John, the, the, uh, the apostle there is telling us is that eternal life lies only in one person, that is His Son, Jesus Christ. And obviously that was something that, at least whether the, the young man knew that or not, he felt like that Jesus was the right person 
that he needed to see and to talk to and that could give him the assurance that he was looking for. He asked the right question. What good thing shall I do? I'm sure that, that uh, like many of us, is that, uh, that when we go to buy something, is, but we, we usually go with some sense of confidence that we're going to be able to obtain that which we are seeking to buy. Again, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a material possession or whether it's a, uh, some sort of uh, an intellectual capacity that we might have. We go seeking a job. Uh, we usually go convinced that we're going to be able to do whatever that job is. Or if we, go to, or if we take a job, we're, we're, we're absolutely convinced that we have the capability, the self-confidence, in order to do what we've been hired to do. If we go to buy a new car, if we go to, to do, you know, those other kinds of possession of material things, we usually think that before we get there, we've convinced ourselves that we're going to be able to afford whatever it is that we're looking to acquire. And so this young man comes to Jesus, convinced that Jesus was the right person to answer his question about what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. So he asked the right question, what do I need to do? And Jesus, already knowing all about this young man, tells him what he needs to do. Obey the commandments. Oh, I, I've done that, he says. I, I've done all that since I was little. I've always obeyed the commandments. Obviously, he was, uh, he was exaggerating a bit, but don't we all? Uh, usually when we're seeking to possess something uh, that we don't have, and somebody says, can you afford that, or do you really want that? We're, we usually answer in the affirmative. I, I, I've done that. You know, I've, I've got to, I can afford the car. I can do this. I can do that. Or we might even, you know, as, as we're looking for vocation or something, we might embellish our resume a little bit. So that we can convince the person that we're seeking to make a purchase from, or to fulfill an obligation from, uh, that we can do whatever is asking. So this young man had no doubt in his mind that he could, he could do whatever Jesus might ask him to do in order to get that assurance of eternal life. What good thing shall I do? Of course, Jesus quickly tells him, gives him the bottom line, the additional cost in serving him. And of course, the young man was, he heard that, and he found out that the cost was way more than he was able to bear because he was an extremely wealthy young man. Verse 22 says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. But there certainly is a lesson in that for us uh, where we sometimes, and, and again, I, I would su suggest, don't know, but certainly would suggest that that many of us have faced that same reality, uh, not only with material possessions, but also with our spiritual life, is that we have found out sometimes that the calling to us spiritually is a heavy call, a heavy cost involved in that. It's not, it's not so much, do, am, am I going to serve uh, in spite of my other things that I want to do? Uh, is that going to be necessary? And of course, that's one of the reasons that, is, that this evangelistic, uh, I guess, state that we're in right now, where, where most churches are, are focusing on just the four truths of the gospel. Let's get them in, then we can share the rest of the message with them. What the additional costs are. This young man was a disappointed and dejected customer. 
And so John MacArthur in his book says that that, that ought to teach us something. But unfortunately, uh, we know that, that that doesn't always sell very well. And so John MacArthur is saying is that, you know, when we do that, we deprive, uh, we are in, in fact engaging in an unscrupulous sales practice because at some point in time, hopefully anyway, at uh, some point in time if a person uh, says that they profess in, uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that they're saved and they're going to heaven when they die, and, uh, but then somebody makes some sort of a demand on their, on their life as a, as a part of their Christian service, uh, they found out, whoa, whoa, that's not fair. You know, it's not part of my spiritual contract for me to have to give up so much time, money, and so forth. And so John MacArthur says is that, that for us to be scrupulous in our evangelism, we must always focus on the cost. And of course, part of that is looking our, at ourselves in terms of the sinner that we are and in looking at us as compared to the, the holy God that we are seeking to become a part of it, as far as eternally is concerned, and His perfect law. How far away are we from that? You know, you go to buy a car, and maybe uh, some of you probably read in the, uh, on the news this past week, I guess it was, about the little five-year-old kid up in Utah who was stopped two miles from his house, stopped by highway patrol, and as he was driving down the road, not being able to see over the steering wheel, but he was sort of winding his way down the road. He was about two miles from home, and a highway patrolman pulled him over, walked up to the car, and this was all on film because he had his GoPro on his chest, walked up and opened the door, and he was just flabbergasted about the little five-year-old that was sitting behind the driver's steering wheel and asked him who he was and asked him where he was going. As the story unfolded, the little boy was five and he was mad because his mother said they couldn't afford a Lamborghini. And obviously he had been on YouTube or something and he thought the cars were wonderful and he wanted to buy a Lamborghini. And so after she went to bed, he got the keys to the car, although he had never driven before, got the keys to the car, got behind the wheel and was able to go two miles before he was stopped. Had three dollars in his pocket and said he was going to buy himself a Lamborghini. <laughs> Unfortunately, again, we, some of us may have been in that situation before where the reality is much different than the self, our own personal self-deception. We think we are able to afford things which we really are not prepared to uh, afford even after we possess them. Maybe we stretch ourselves uh, financially in order to acquire something only to be found out uh, only to find out at a later date is that the, the cost of possessing that is more than we are prepared to have and, and we, we have to go through some embarrassing uh, analysis there to decide what, what am I going to do now I've got it what am I going to do with it kind of a thing so reality versus self-deception Mark 10 21 if you want to look there real quick And then Jesus looked at him and lovingly him said, one thing you lack, and this is again talking to the young man in, in uh, the other God, the Gospel of Mark, who's relaying the story and he got a little bit different uh, uh, approach to it. Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. Now with 
it, it would have been, obviously, it would have been very easy, but unscrupulous, you know, for, for him to say, all you have to do is say the sinner's prayer and something. Trying to make an analogy to what we currently do is if someone comes and says, you know, I want eternal life. I want to have assurance that I'm going to heaven when I die. And someone who, who might be of the non-lordship, uh, I guess, perspective might say, well, you know, all you've got to do is you've got four things you've got to do. You've got to believe that you're a sinner. You've got to believe that God, that Jesus is a Savior, that He gave His life for you, and that He was crucified, He was dead, He was buried, He was resurrected. If you believe those four things, you're going to heaven. That's the salvation part. And of course, the other thing is, is, that, is that many people buy that but then when the truth comes out is that there are other things, the Scripture tells us very explicitly, there are other things that we need to do in order to have true faith and have a complete spiritual life uh, as a Christian. But we sometimes we, we are self-deceptive in that we, we fool ourselves. We, we convince ourselves that, well, that's all I need to do. Of course, John MacArthur, as well as many others, would argue that, no, that's not true. There is, a, there is a true cost to being a believer. There is a true cost that exceeds just that, that initial uh, sinner's prayer that you might say and that, uh, that agreement of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that we find out is that, uh, and, and what John MacArthur is, is talking about in this story, is that sometimes we've, we're holding so, so much stuff uh, we have so many material possessions. We have so many activities. We have so many avenues of entertainment and enjoyment and, and living life. Our hands are so full of that stuff that we have no room for what John MacArthur called the gift of salvation. And you, you, we're loaded down with stuff. And so it's impossible for us to accept anything else. And so when those demands upon us as Christians, as believers, come to us, we're not prepared to accept those additional requirements, as a, which calls, of course, calls into question our true faith. Let me close with prayer. Precious Father, we thank you for your truth, for the truth of your word. We ask the Lord that you would continue to focus our minds and our hearts upon that truth, so that we may be not like the young man. We will not walk away dejected, disappointed. Help us, Lord, strengthen our faith in Jesus' precious name. Amen.